First Samuel chapter 24, we'll be looking at the whole chapter. I'm going to be reading to you verses 16 through 22. Go ahead and grab your Bible and open up there. First uh, Samuel chapter 24, verses 16 through 22. As you're opening there, let me remind you about something that's coming up, not this Wednesday, but the next. We will be having our connection night at Wednesday night supper. So this is a great opportunity for you to come. It's sort of a seam in the year. We've been hearing from our mission partners, and we'll hear from another great one, Chris Taunton with Jumpstart Alabama. Our former youth minister, Chris, is on at another ministry in Birmingham. He's been sharing with us this Wednesday night, but Wednesday week, a week from this Wednesday, we'll have Connection Night at Supper. All of our different ministries and programs and other things you can get involved with will be set up there. And then after that, we'll have our business meeting where you can learn a little more about what's going on at the church. Anyone's welcome to attend our business meetings here. We don't have closed business meetings, but we only ask uh, to only vote if you're a member. And so if you're wondering whether you are or not, let me know, and I'll tell you whether you can vote or not. And uh, we will then um, uh, have Ask Anything Wednesday after that. And it explains itself in the title. You can come and ask the pastor anything. Some people call it Stump the Chump. So whatever you want to call it, you can call it that. And uh, ask anyone say you can ask about the church, you can ask about the Bible, you can ask about things that are going on. Uh, nothing's off limits uh, for Ask Anything Wednesday. So we do that after business meeting. So connection night, you can learn about different ministries, ways to get involved, upcoming coming training use schedule. You can learn all kinds of different ways to get plugged in. So many of you are new. We had a packed full uh, new member class this morning. And many of you are thinking, how can I get involved? What, what do I do next? How can I get more involved at First Baptist Church? Come that Wednesday night. Your first dinner's free, otherwise it's $5, it's hard to beat. Uh, the food's delicious, and then you can kind of figure out what you want to get involved with here at First Baptist Church. So I look forward to seeing you that night at Connection Night. First Samuel chapter 24, verses 16 through 22. Do me a favor if you would, let's stand together out of reverence for the reading of the words of our God. The author writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in such a way that as the words on this page are being read, God himself is speaking to us. Beginning verse 16. As soon as David had finished speaking these words to Saul, Saul said, Is this your voice, my son David? And Saul lifted up his voice and wept. And he said to David, You are more righteous than I, for you have repaid me good, whereas I have repaid you evil. And you have declared this day how you have dealt well with me, and that you did not kill me when the Lord put me into your hands. For if a man finds his enemy, will he let him go away safe? So may the Lord reward you with good for what you have done to me this day. And now, behold, I know that you shall surely be king and that the kingdom of Israel shall be established in your hand. Swear to me, therefore, by the Lord, that you will not cut off my offspring after me, and that you will not destroy my name out of my father's house. And David swore this to Saul, and then Saul went home, but David and his men went up to the stronghold. Let's pray together. O Lord, we thank you for Jesus Christ. We thank you for the good news and the hope that we find in his gospel. And, oh God, we pray you would let us see him in this text in order that we might be changed by it today. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Character is a word that gets tossed around a lot. Uh, people say character this and character that. He's a man of character. Maybe another word we hear a lot that 
reminds us this word is the word integrity. But what do we really mean when we say these things? Oftentimes what we mean is someone who's morally perfect or someone who's impervious uh, to the ability uh, to do anything wrong. Uh, people love to think about character, talk about character. Over the years, there are little little maybe myths, but maybe true stories that emerge around significant leaders like Honest Abe and others about things they did to make sure we know that they are people of sterling character. The Bible talks a little bit about character, talks about producing character and the way that over time, for example, in Romans 5, the way suffering and other things produce character in us over time. In other words, what the Bible's talking about when it talks about character is that which we're made of. (laughs) That the substance of our being, our moral substance, or maybe another way to put this is our moral fiber. It is proverbially who we are when no one is looking. However, maybe better, it's even better to say character or integrity is also who we are when other people are looking and want us to do the wrong thing, when we're being encouraged to do the wrong thing. You know, these folks over here in the matching T-shirts we talk to them all the time about peer pressure, don't we, guys? And we talk to my kids, we talk to our kids about peer pressure. Y'all hear about peer pressure? Just because your friends are doing it doesn't mean you should do it, right? Well, what you guys need to do is stand up and tell everyone else in the room that, okay? Just because your friends are doing it, everyone, doesn't mean you should do it. Just because everyone else thinks it's the right thing to do doesn't mean it's the right thing to do. Character is doing what's right before God, even when it feels wrong. Having character, though, is something we all desire. I think something everyone wants to have is character. In fact, there are many people who say, you know, I'm a little bit of a rascal, but at the end of the day, I'm a man of character. I'm a man of integrity. We want to be women of character. We want to be men of character. But in a world where character and conviction are often mocked, where character feels hard to come by, where do we start? What do we do? The passage at hand is part of a series of stories that uh, we've, we've learned lots of things about David. Here we, we see these stories that are meant to show David's right and ability to be king. But there are two situations that are presented in these series of chapters here in the sort of middle 20s of uh, 1 Samuel that show David sparing Saul's life. And the author is showing us this to make sure it's clear that David did not take the kingdom by might. It was something that was giving, given to him by God. Now, if we are to believe, and I think it's the case, that First and Second Samuel were originally part of a single book, got split up due to scroll length over time, but ultimately First and Second Samuel are a single ongoing narrative. It's clear to us that in the ongoing narrative, David is hardly portrayed as perfectly righteous. In fact, so many of us think of David, immediately think of certain sins of David. Nonetheless, this chapter is showing David, though, again, Samuel is hardly hagiography. It's hardly just this perfect, ideal presentation of David. But still, it's important for the author to demonstrate to the people of God and to those who would read this book that David had a right to be king and that David was fit to be king. These are chapters in a lot of ways, and especially this one, I think, is a chapter about David's character. What's the man built from? What's he made out of? What's the fabric of David's heart and life? I think there are some things for us to learn here about living lives of Christ-like character, growing and developing character. And some of you might say, well, I'm already old and 
Whatever character I have, I have. Well, I think God's in the changing lives business. Other of you may say, I'm young and I don't really have to worry about that yet. But all our life is, is a collection of decisions we've made. And so no matter what age you may be, there's something to learn about what it means to develop Christ-like character. I want to show you three truths this morning. Three truths about the content of character. Three truths about how we can grow to have the sort of character, the content of our lives, the integrity that reflects Jesus and his gospel. Three truths this morning. Here's the first. Character is restrained by righteousness. Character is restrained by righteousness. It's a great irony in a sad situation that at this point, Saul's kingship has been reduced to little little blurbs, short sentences about his day job. Saul returned from fighting the Philistines. We don't even hear what Saul's doing among the Philistines anymore. It's what we ought to be hearing about are the great and mighty things he did on behalf of the people of God. Instead, that's the subtext. And the primary occupation of Saul now is chasing after David. He returns from fighting the Philistines and immediately resumes his pursuit. Somehow, in God's providence, something we wouldn't really believe if it wasn't on the page happens. Saul is still a man and needs to go to the restroom. And so the Bible, literally in the Hebrew, it says he needed to cover his feet, which is a Hebrew idiom for relieving himself. And so Saul decides he's going to go find somewhere to go to the restroom. Now, it's maybe a little ironic, and I don't know if the author wants to see this or not, but it's worth noting that the place that Saul decides to go to the restroom is the place where David's living. He happens to be hiding in this very cave. It's not exactly the sort of accommodations you would expect the crown prince of Israel to have. The coming heir, the anointed king. And so Saul slips into the cave, and as they realize, David and his men, the text tells us they're further back in this cave system, and supposedly they either see him or hear his voice. Somehow or another, they know that Saul has entered the cave, and he is in a position where he would be quite easy to kill. He's preoccupied. And so they immediately become theologians. Theologians. Chapter 24, verse 4, the first half. And the men of David said to him, Here is the day. They're singing the song from VBS. This is the day. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. David says, Don't you quote my songs to me. And so here he says, Some of you will get that later. Uh, here's the day of which the Lord said to you behold I will give your enemy into your hand and you shall do to him as it shall seem good to you now we've never heard God say this we don't know if this is a word of prophecy uh, that came from them or if they're just saying uh, I I think they're doing a little bit of a uh, uh, one truth and two lies because God did say the day was coming when David would be king I don't think the Lord ever said to David and I will give your enemy into your hand. And I've never seen where David says, and you could do whatever you, where God says to David, and you could do whatever you'd like to him. In other words, sometimes someone can take a little bit of truth. Aren't you supposed to be king? I mean, didn't God promise this? Didn't he? Oh, ye of little faith. Oh, ye of little faith. It's time for you to go grab the kingdom for yourself. You, God has done this clearly. But be careful of friends who interpret your circumstances. <laughs> to tell you what you should and shouldn't do. I'm not big on tea leave reading. 
I'm not big on reading the signs of the times when it comes on what we shouldn't, shouldn't do. I'm more of a big fan of what God's actually said. Let's be careful as we consider these things. But notice what happens. The narrative continues. David arose and he stealthily cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Now, we think to this, well, man, we already thought David is righteous, but I want you to understand that his robe was part of what it meant for him to be king. It was representative of his kingship. So David is cutting off from him something that is representative of his royal life. And we see this in the way that the robe is placed on him earlier. We see this in the way that uh, Jonathan strips his robe. And here we see why then, if that's the case, that what David is doing, though maybe not wicked, maybe not evil, it is the very least disrespectful. It's unwise to act this way. And perhaps David was a little more tempted to kill him than he thought, because the Bible says in verse 5 immediately that his heart struck him because he had cut off a corner of Saul's robe. And he goes back to the men and he says to them, the Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to put out my hand against him, seeing he is the Lord's anointed. So David persuaded, now that word persuaded is a little light, uh, the Hebrew really is an intense word there. I think, in fact, David may have had to have threatened them a little bit to get them to stand down and not permit this deed. They wanted to attack Saul, but instead Saul was able to rise up, the text says, and leave the cave and go on his way. Character is restrained by righteousness. Now, I want you to consider this reality. Character does not necessarily mean you have a perfect track record. Character doesn't necessarily mean that you have a perfect track record. There's not one single person in this room that's not a sinner. And and there's not one person in this room who's not at some level or to some degree made a mess of their character. And you say, not me. Okay. Well, let's just imagine a scenario for a moment. Imagine just next Sunday, um, you're sitting here, and all of a sudden, as church is about to start, you look up and you see a video playing on the screen. And it's the highlight reel of your month. The good, bad, and the ugly. Okay? Let me ask you this. Are you going to be embarrassed? Are you going to be ashamed? Will there be anything on there that you did when nobody was looking that you don't want on the big screen at First Baptist Church? In that case, you're... He's mad at me. Sorry, guys. Scotty, I'm not really going to do it, okay? character is restrained by righteousness all of us at some level have messed our character up all of us do things that we don't want anyone knowing about and all of us have given into a level of temptation and flirted with the edge and got in a situation that we could probably defend but wouldn't really want to right maybe you didn't quite do the wrong thing but you went to the wrong place at the wrong time Maybe you're just flirting with the edge. I think that's sort of what David is doing here. You see, he doesn't necessarily have the perfect track record. He does something that his conscience bothers him about. But what it does mean is that you find yourself restrained by what is righteous. You don't go as far as you could. Character is not the requisition of a perfect track record. It's that at times we are restrained by righteousness. David had impure motives. He even did something that pricked his own conscience. But the 
the key factor here is that when it was pricked, he recognized it and changed his behavior. All of us have a scale of conscience. And the question becomes, if we are going to develop character, are we finding ourselves in moments where we're restrained by righteousness, even when we want to, even when we're discouraged to do what's wrong? Here's the thing I want to mention as well. If we're going to be restrained by righteousness, we must know what is right and wrong. We must know what is right and wrong. Um, we're big gospel people here. We don't live by the law. We live by grace. But the law is extremely helpful and it's a gift from the Lord to help us know what's right and what's wrong. Right? Um, every time my kids get in trouble, I don't say, come over here and let me forgive you. And we try to show love and grace in our home, but sometimes you know what they have to do? Live with the consequences of their sins. Why? Because we want them to know what is righteous. We want them to know what is right and wrong. We want them to know how God's world works. Now, we offer forgiveness and we offer love freely on the other end, but there are times and often times that we need to deal with the consequences of what's what we've done that's wrong. And that's part of how we learn God's standard of righteousness is through His Word. Brothers and sisters, you will not develop a life of character unless you know what God has said. You see, I think David's friends had distorted and twisted what God had said a little bit. We must be a people of the book. In case you've ever wondered, that's why I preach from the Bible. Because I could get up here and give you platitudes and hints and tell you what to do and what's right and wrong. But unless you have a steady dose of the Bible, you won't really know. You won't really know God's standards of righteousness. You might know Matt's standards of righteousness, or you might know God's standards of righteousness as they've been presented through the lens of Matt's favorite thoughts. But you won't know the Word, and the Word is what you need. You need the Bible. Character is restrained by righteousness. Second of all, Character trusts God's justice. Second of all, character trusts God's justice. David decides to come out of the cave and confront Saul. It's a risky move because there's really nowhere to go except maybe back in the cave. He can certainly be caught there, but David comes out and confronts Saul. It begins in verse 8. David also arose and went out of the cave, and he called after Saul, My Lord, the king. And when Saul looked behind him, David bowed with his face to the earth and paid homage. This is another big risk. To put your head down in front of the man who's tried to pin you to the wall with a spear more than once. He pays down, he pays, bows down, pays him homage, and David said to Saul, verse 9, Why do you listen to the words of men who say, Behold, David seeks you harm? Do you see how David is trying to diffuse the situation? Nobody's telling Saul these things. Saul is telling Saul these things. But David is kind of laying the respect on thick. Behold, verse 10, This day your eyes have seen how the Lord gave you today into my hand in the cave, and some told me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not put out my hand against my Lord, for He is the Lord's anointed. See, my Father, see the corner of your robe in my hand, for by the fact that I cut off the corner of your robe and did not kill you, you may know and see that there is no wrong or treason in my hands. I have not sinned against you, though you hunt my life to take it. David is here trying to plead his innocence with Saul. He's trying to reason with him. But I want you to notice something David says in verse 12, and a point he reiterates in a moment in verse 15. That's what he says. May the Lord, as he continues this speech to Saul, may the Lord judge between me and you, may the Lord avenge me against you, but my hand 
shall not be against you. And then he goes on in verse 15. Let's back up into 14 first. After whom has the king of Israel come out? After whom do you pursue? After a dead dog. After a flea. May the Lord, listen to this, similar to verse 12, May the Lord therefore be judge and give sentence between me and you and see to it and plead my cause and deliver me from your hand. Brothers and sisters, character looks forward to God's justice and judgment. I don't think there are moments where we are tempted to sell our character and integrity down the road quite like those moments where we feel wrongfully attacked and wrongfully treated. You may be different than me, but when I'm being treated well, it's pretty easy to feel righteous. How about you? It's easy to be kind. It's easy to be loving. It's kind of easy to do the right thing when things are going well. But let things not go my way for as much as a millisecond and the temptations come raining down on me. I begin to want to do what? To demand my rights. Any of y'all like to demand your rights? I'm paying for this meal. You ought to be faster. Not paying any more than the other people who are waiting with you. But still, you deserve the world, don't you? No, we're so tempted to begin to be unrighteous, to sell our character down the road when we feel like we are on the wrong end of justice. But character looks forward. It looks forward to God's justice and judgment. Character refuses to take justice in its own hands. David had every right according to the laws of man. I don't know one single round table at a Jack's in Alabama where all the wisest people in the community wouldn't say, he's got every right to fight back. The guy keeps trying to kill him, he might as well kill him back. That's how I see it. My dad taught me growing up, you never start a fight, but you can finish a fight. I don't know how I would finish it, except getting knocked out, but that's another sermon. I'm a lover, not a fighter, guys. No character, though. Though David seemed to have a right, according to the laws of man, according to how he had to have felt in his heart, according to what his own men are saying, with a pastiche of Bible over it, uh, according to all these things, David had every right to take vengeance into his own hands, but character refuses to do so. Why? Because vengeance belongs to the Lord. And we maintain our integrity by refusing to try to play God by playing judge. That does not belong to us. And this reality... This sort of character, this is gospel-driven, Christ-centered character because, character, because the reality of this is the backbone of what it means to live as a Christian in a fallen world. There is almost nothing scarier than forgiveness. Forgiveness is horrifying. Well, we've got sayings about how stupid forgiveness is. Fool me once, shame on me. Fool me twice. I mean, fool me once, shame on you. It's like the Michael Scott version. I don't know how it works. You guys know, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. Right? Forgiveness is scary. People don't don't deserve second chances. People don't deserve forgiveness, we think. It's scary to put ourselves out there in that way. Part of what it means to be people of grace, and part of why it is so difficult to be gracious to others, is because all of us in our culture and society tend to have a morbid fear of having egg on our face of being embarrassed, of being taken advantage of, of feeling like we weren't shrewd enough or wise enough. But part of what it means to be gospel people is living most of our lives with egg on our face. 
Having people take advantage of grace. Having people take advantage of love. Having people take advantage of forgiveness. Forgiveness and grace are essential because we believe in a judgment day. And when someone has wronged us, we believe. And I don't mean you have to subject yourself over and over and over again to the same things. I don't mean that. But what I do mean, though, is that forgiveness is scary. And it's scary because what we are doing is entrusting ourselves to the God who is judge instead of taking matters into our own hands. We have to be so careful. It's the backbone of Christian living to live this way, trusting God's judgment. We cannot be incessantly judgmental to the world around us if we expect to win them with the gospel. God is judge and He will judge the world. And we have to trust that He will do that. We have to love. We have to love one another. Loving one another sees the judgment of the cross and it sees that God loves us despite our sins. Brothers and sisters, the content of your character is undergirded by trusting there is a judgment day and that God is just and that vengeance belongs to the Lord. Character is restrained by righteousness. Character trusts in God's justice. And finally, character is received. Character grows by grace through faith. Character is by grace through faith. In these final verses, Saul has a temporary change of heart. David wisely doesn't try to go back to Saul's court. He doesn't go back uh, with Saul. They go back to the stronghold, wisely anticipating that this change of heart might not be permanent. But Saul sees temporarily what he has done so much to avoid. He sees temporarily in verse 20 that David will surely be king. And he asks David to promise, much like Jonathan has, that he will be merciful to his descendants. I don't know, maybe it was encouraging to David to be reminded of God's promises in this way. You know, it's one thing to be in the cave at night, strumming your heart, writing a psalm about how faithful God is and how much God loves you. But you still have this madman out there. And you might ask yourself, why is it if God has made these promises, if God is so gracious, if God is so loving, why am I in a cave? Why am I hiding out in Saul's porta potty if it means that if I'm actually king of Israel, if God is really who he says he is? Maybe there was an encouragement to hear God's promises reiterated that Saul believes them too. Saul believes God. Saul believes what God has said. Saul sees what's happening. He's just reacting to it in the worst possible way. He's reacting to God's grace and God's plan and God's purpose satanically rather than Christ-centeredly. He's not seeing it for what it is. At the very least, maybe it was encouraging for David to be reminded God's promises are sure and true and that's why I'm hiding in the cave because Saul believes them too and he hates what God is doing. If you read through David's Psalms from this season, you can see the theme over and over that it's God who preserves His people. What does David really have here? What makes David so different than Saul? What keeps David in this passage, and you'll see in the next, David almost takes out a blood vengeance on a man named Nabal in chapter 25. What holds David back? What restrains him? I mean, is this chapter, this book, is it just another moralism sort of study? Be like David, don't be like Saul. Well, that's easy to say, right? All right, guys, D now's over. Be like David, don't be like Saul. Except, don't be like David. At least, if you're going to read the rest of the chapters, read the rest of the book, don't be like David. Because David messes up royally too. No pun intended. David messes up all the time. Lots of people mess up. Lots of people have sins. In fact, if you read the whole Old Testament over and over and over again, you see 
record after record after record of the profound sin of the people of God, places where their character broke down, places where their character was totally evaporated. Abraham tried to sell his wife Sarah out to save his own hide. Moses murdered an Egyptian instead of trusting in the plan of the Lord. And then later David, we'll see a litany of David's sins as well. Ultimately, only God's favor, God's grace, and the choice to trust Him and to trust His plans, ultimately that's the only thing that separates David from Saul, that separates Jonathan from Saul. Character is a gift of grace that we receive only by trusting in the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. For David, it was looking toward the unfinished work of God out in the future. For Jonathan, it was looking at the unfinished work of God out in the future. For Moses, the same. For Abraham, the same. It was looking out for promises, believing that God will fulfill them, promises not yet fulfilled. Yet we have the benefit, not only of looking forward to a future where God makes all things right, but oh, brothers and sisters, what a joy we have in the fact we can look backwards. We can see what Jesus has already done. We can look and see the one who was nailed to the cross for our sins, the only one whose fabric of morality was totally perfect, the only one for whom the substance of his character was infinitely pure. That fabric was torn asunder by the wrath of God at the cross. He became sin who knew no sin so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. How can we grow in character? I've made a mess of my character, you might say. My integrity, my reputation, what can I do now? Oh, it's never too late until somebody shows me the bones of Jesus of Nazareth. It's never too late to place your hand in the nail-scarred hand. It's never too late to have your life sewn back together. It's never too late to live a life of Christ-centered character so long as Christ is at the right hand of God. As we grow in character, we are only growing in character because we are growing in faith, in trusting the Lord. Character is a gift of grace that we receive only through faith. How do we grow in character? It's restrained by righteousness. It trusts God's righteousness. It's by grace through faith. And ultimately, it's by grace through faith in the one who is perfect in character and integrity and the one who offers perfect forgiveness for you even now, our Lord Jesus Christ. I want to offer an invitation this morning. If you've never put your trust and faith in Jesus, I believe if you'll turn from your sins and repentance, turn to God in faith through Christ, you will be saved. I believe it with all my heart. I I would never make a, a promise on behalf of God that He hasn't made Himself in His Word. I believe if you trust Him, you will be saved.